Michael, Francis, and I chose three words, three parts of the Easter story to look at to find ways that fit our lives now, ways that are authentic and inclusive to persons in this fellowship and beyond. I love looking at communion. First, the linguist in me likes to look at its root word, common. What do we all have in common? One minister has said that we have the imperative of giving body and form to our justice-centered faith. Community. Members of this fellowship have been looking at what it means to be in community with each other. Communion. What are the dictionary definitions? The act of sharing, a group of persons having a common religious faith, a fellowship, an intimate communication, as in communion with nature. Communion. Christians gave special meaning to this word from what happened at the Last Supper. All the various interpretations have the common thread of being a way to remember Jesus. Most Christians interpret what Jesus said as a directive to have a ritual to eat bread together and that that bread is of his body and to drink wine and that is of his blood. It is a very holy part of the Christian faith to take communion together. It is a way to remember Jesus bodily by taking bread and wine into our bodies. For Jesus and his disciples, as practicing Jews, this Seder dinner was a time of remembrance of liberation and freedom from slavery in Egypt. Khalil Gibran, in his book, Jesus, the Son of Man, gives these communion words to Jesus. Eat the bread in remembrance of our days in Galilee. Drink this wine in remembrance of a thirst we have known together. And drink it also in hope for the new vintage. Ere we leave, let us rise and sing. This idea of communion comes from the very basic part of communal life. Eating, drinking, singing together. Remembering what binds us together. What we have done together and what we still hope to do. These are the things we do in religious community with our bodies, with our presence. This is why we eat meals together in this fellowship and why the dinners at congregants' homes and the minister are the most cherished part of the annual auction of this fellowship. This community is also committed to honoring the earth and our bodies with ethical eating, creating and sharing personal and communal gardens, 
These are spiritual practices for some. Planting, gardening, being close to the earth, bringing forth the beauty of plants and flowers. Gardening at Neighbor's Link. There are others of us who love to make music, to sing in our wonderful choir, and together in the hymns we sing each week. There are those among us called out to teach our whole lives sexuality education to our teens to help them know that their bodies are both sacred and joyful. There are those among us who have the gift of building and fixing things. And there are those who are willing to learn and practice their faith and service to others, like the group that just got back from New Orleans last night. Some of us like to move in other ways. We have found that we experience deeper connection to the mysterious through dance and movement. At the Last Supper, there are no reports of dancing. There was something even more bodily intimate that evening. It was Jesus washing the disciples' feet. They could not believe he was asking them to take off their dusty sandals and let them wash their stinky, dirty feet. They still considered him their king, higher than, elevated, beyond ordinary things. Not serving, but being served. Khalil Gibran again gives Jesus these words, Now I will wash your feet, for I must needs free your feet from the dust of the ancient road and give them the freedom of the new way. I will wash your feet that you may remember that he who serves men will be the greatest among men. Jesus wanted his disciples, his students, to find a new way of being in the world, a world where the rulers would no longer be elevated and corrupt and not care about the common people. Jesus, throughout his ministry, had broken bread and drank wine with persons who were considered outcast, the fringe of society, the marginalized, the oppressed, the common people, people who had no power, no say, people who felt trapped, who had no hope for a better life. The meaning of communion is to remember the message of Jesus, messages that are part of our faith, part of our principles. In our children's language, each person is important. Be kind in all you do. Each person needs a voice. Build a fair and peaceful world and care for the earth. This is the message of peace and justice and hope. Hope that Jesus asked his disciples 
and all of us to keep alive. May it be so. I love that E.E. Cummings poem because it is about yes. I'm going to speak a little bit about crucifixion, which is about no. Many African-American spirituals inspired by lives of slavery and by the story of the crucifixion take us right to the foot of Jesus' cross. This past week as we were in New Orleans, one hymn, one spiritual kept running through my mind. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the cross? Were you there when they pierced him in the side? Were you there when the sun refused to shine? Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble. Were you there? It's harder for us here today for many reasons to find ourselves able to stand beneath the cross of Jesus Christ crucified and to make sense of the meaning of that image, of that reality so long ago in our lives. And yet, that is what the Easter message beckons us to do. The resurrection of new life, the growth of beloved community, the finding of a new kingdom— as the Christian message unfolds, can only happen by way of Jesus' crucifixion. In the Roman Empire, death by crucifixion was the most torturous, the slowest, the most gruesome death, and it was reserved for those who sought to overthrow the empire. It was designed to make an example, to intimidate to, def- to deter others from further insurrections. So why did Jesus get that death? Jesus' followers were largely victims of this empire of Roman conquest. It was an empire that had little use of them except to seek their taxes, to pay the governors, to seek their allegiance to the king who was also called a savior, and also to receive their tithes and take their labor to build the Hellenistic-style temples and colonnades that were popular in that day among the wealthy and the aristocracy. These were poor peasant people and poor urban people in this conquered land of Galilee and Judea where there was, they were of little use to this empire. The man Jesus to whom they flocked, who some called the king of the Jews, spoke a message that was very different from the empire. He proclaimed to them that their lives mattered. He called them blessed among men, blessed among people. He healed them and he exercised them of powers and demons that controlled their lives, a concept that doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but this was a different time and powers and demons from the empire lived in different ways for them. 
as a young rabbi, Jesus continued the tradition of the Hebrew prophets of criticizing those in power who created false idols and who failed to live lives committed to God and committed to their neighbor. He reminded the people that there was a message of God's covenant God's covenant to humankind that had lived long before this time period and could continue to live abundantly in their lives as faithful people. Jesus enlivened the story of the Israelites who broke the bonds of oppression and with God's help were delivered to freedom in a promised land. Yes, Jesus' message was dangerous to the established order. He emboldened and he energized people who were previously without hope under the empire to believe instead that they lived lives of worth and dignity. He was dangerous and he was crucified for it. His death, rather than being intimidating, rather than causing the people to back down, actually inspired a righteous indignation and a new quest and a new faith for people who had been oppressed. This past week in New Orleans, we heard again and again from the survivors of the flood a message of deliverance renewed and a message of people emboldened, still rebuilding their homes, still rebuilding their churches, still rebuilding their communities with many years to go, with generations of gifts washed away. We heard them again and again say, you know, we weren't meant to come back. The city has been rebuilding around them. We weren't meant to come back, and yet they have come back. People are continuing to return to their homes and their neighborhoods and their communities, and they say, we are here even though we weren't meant to come back. We worked alongside a strong, courageous, committed people emboldened by their faith, emboldened by their faith in life and in community and in love to know beyond any message from the outside that their lives mattered, that all life matters. And they said to us, you matter as well, you who stand in solidarity with us. They embraced us with their love, and we shared in their joy, and we too felt emboldened to work more for justice and deliverance from oppression. Going to New Orleans this week, gave me a week at the foot of the cross, standing in solidarity with people who are committed to deliverance of their lives from oppression each day with renewed hope and renewed vigor being held in love. According to the ancient scriptures that tell of the life and ministry of Jesus, Three days after his death at the hands of the Roman Empire, his followers went to his tomb to anoint his body with oils, only to find it empty. The mourners who were sad at the loss of their teacher were confused. How did the stone get moved away from the tomb? Where did the body go? In some versions of that story, his followers see him again. They speak with him. And they get instructions on how to carry on their faith. A man who had been dead just three days before 
had been resurrected from the dead. He who was once dead is now alive again. In this story is some good news that we do well to remember on this Easter Sunday. That even in the bleakest time of sadness, the possibility of something marvelous and even magical is just beneath the surface. Even in a time of mourning exists the possibility of life. The good news of Easter Sunday is that hope lives. In 2005, New Orleans residents faced the unthinkable. A storm of catastrophic proportions followed by the failure of the walls designed to hold back the water. When the levees breached, walls of water rushed into communities that had for centuries grown beside the river, canals, and lake. Entire homes were wiped off their foundations. One by one, whole neighborhoods were destroyed in a matter of minutes. Lakeview, New Orleans East, Holy Cross, the Lower Ninth Ward, all gone. Hundreds of thousands of people evacuated the city, clogging highways and turning five-hour trips into 18-hour nightmares. Some 26,000 people made it to the Superdome, where they huddled and waited for the waters to recede. Almost 2,000 people were killed by the deadly floods. In 2006, when I first visited the Lower Ninth Ward, debris lay everywhere. Piles of wood that were once houses were strewn in the streets, being slowly reclaimed to the earth by putrid, stinking mold. Rotting wood and sheetrock was all that was left of a once full neighborhood. Death was still in the air a year after the disaster. By 2009, when members of our congregation volunteered in New Orleans for the first time, the place we found was like a body prepared for burial. The lower ninth ward had been cleaned up and placed in a tomb. No longer were the streets filled with the decaying corpses of a neighborhood. The concrete slabs had been wiped clean as if anointed with sacred oil and left as altars in honor of the dead. Rather than piling up debris, the few people who actually lived in the Lower Ninth Ward at the time struggled to keep the weeds at bay, cutting tall grasses on lots belonging to their friends with hand tools, scythes, garden clippers, and pruning shears. We got out of our cars on a corner some six blocks from the Industrial Canal levee, and there was not a single house to be seen between us and the concrete wall. Some were building houses there, but their projects were controversial and mired in government red tape. Former residents of this proud neighborhood looked at Brad Pitt's three or four completed make-it-right houses designed by modern architects to be solar-powered and flood-resistant, but not to fit in with the New Orleans aesthetic, and they shrugged or they sighed. When we pulled up in front of Community Unitarian Universalist Church in Lakeview, we found an empty field where a building destroyed by the floodwaters had been demolished and removed and everything had been cleaned away. New Orleans had been placed in a tomb and left for dead by our nation. But a brave few struggled to keep hope alive there. 
Every day, more and more people return to their city. With each new wave of returnees, new things return to New Orleans. A charter school, a community health clinic, an after-school program for youth, a food pantry. Volunteers like us from all over the world made their way there in a steady stream. And in solidarity with the people of the Crescent City, prepared a place for rebirth. In 2012, members of UUFNW returned to New Orleans to find the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. What was once dead was coming back to life, and we were there not only to witness, but to play a part in the resurrection. On Monday and Tuesday, we volunteered in the Lower Ninth Ward, where three years before we had found empty lots and overgrown weeds, we now found houses. Not the many hundreds of houses that we would have seen in 2005, but houses. Make It Right has created healthy relationships with the local people and has 73 homes completed or under construction. Many dozens of other homes have been rebuilt, and a school is now operating there for the first time since 2005. It is impossible to stand on a street corner and not see houses today. Churches, the backbone of black southern communities, are returning and rebuilding. Where death was once in the air like a fetid stench, there is now life, abundant life. At the northernmost end of the neighborhood, residents have created a bayou reclamation project to restore the wetlands destroyed by decades of mismanagement. They've just received a $25,000 grant to plant cypress trees in Bayou Bienvenue and begin turning back the saltwater infiltration from the Gulf of Mexico. Life is present wherever Ms. Warrenetta Banks sends her volunteers. Hope is present in every project that Mr. Moe and Pablo take on in their woefully underfunded high school. Possibility is present in each herb plant grown in the Tesh garden by Lynetta, Tony, and Rachel and made into tinctures and medicines to heal the sicknesses of Algiers. On Tuesday, we visited Community Unitarian Universalist Church in Lakeview and stood at the front door of their brand new building. A congregation with just about 50 adult members, 50, five zero, managed to raise $750,000 in a capital campaign to build a $1.3 million campus, the first Energy Star-designed public building in the state of Louisiana. Partners, like the folks in this congregation, helped them raise the rest of the money. Today, their solar-powered building sits on a berm of earth above the levels to which the waters rose in their neighborhood that fateful August. In 2005, every single structure on Community Church's block was destroyed. 38th Street, just a few steps from the levee breach, was left for dead. By 2009, three houses on 38th Street were occupied, including one that Community Church bought and rebuilt to meet in because their building had been totaled. Last fall, when Community Church dedicated their building, they were the 12th occupied building on their stretch of 38th Street, 
A thirteenth home is days away from completion. Life abounds in Lakeview as well. Hope lives on 38th Street. The good news of Easter is that however bleak things look, however much death has claimed its place in our world, however sad we are, hope lives. Resurrection is possible if enough people have faith. Resurrection is possible if enough people work hard for it. Resurrection is possible. Maybe not of an individual person, but life can return to a place where death has ruled. We saw it in person just this past week. The good news of Easter is that hope lives. May it be so in New Orleans as much as in our communities and in our lives. Blessed be.